You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast for Friday, June the 30th. This is an exclusive broadcast featuring Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet, who joins me to talk about the Blue Jays, the recent series with the Baltimore Orioles, his thoughts on Roberto Asuna, as well as the state of the game moving forward. And I've got to tell you, if there's one show that you want to sit and listen to in its entirety, it's this one. Because Mr. Zwelling provides some phenomenal insights that as both a, a journalist and a Blue Jays fan, I can really appreciate where he's coming from and how it speaks to his value system when it comes to sports journalism and uh, the Toronto Blue Jays as a whole. You know, it's been a real challenge for the team. This Baltimore series did not go as expected. And now the Jays are facing what I believe to be is the standard bearer of excellence in the American League East. And I know you're thinking, well, Ari, how is that possible? The Boston Red Sox are only one game ahead of the Yankees, and it looks as though they're not nearly as great as people think they are. Well, the truth is I beg to differ. I think that sometimes you look at a baseball season and realize that certain teams don't really kick it into gear until later on in the summer months, and I fear that that's exactly what we're witnessing with the Boston Red Sox, a return to the kind of baseball with the kind of talent that they have, and veteran leadership mixed with young, elite caliber rookies. That creates a situation for the Blue Jays, which is utterly daunting, which is why it's so crucial that this three-game set this weekend is at least an indication to their fans that they have the fortitude and capacity to hang with the big boys. And we're going to see that unfold very quickly. And then, of course, as a reward for this experience with the Red Sox, the Jays will immediately have to face the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros. It doesn't get any easier, does it? And that's just the nature of baseball. So without further delay, I'd like to bring on my first and only guest this evening, uh, someone that I've been looking forward to having on the show for quite some time. You know him as a senior writer and podcaster with Sportsnet who tackles multi-platform Major League Baseball and Toronto Blue Jays coverage and always breaks down the latest news, trades, and rumors from the clubhouse. I'm thrilled to have Arden Zwelling on the show this afternoon. Arden, how are you this evening? Good, Ari. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, although, truthfully, it's, it's, been a, it's been a crazy week, to say the least, in Blue Jays land. And I could think of no one better to help my listeners and myself disseminate, understand, absorb, maybe digest some of the things that we've been witnessing and experiencing from, uh, from the local team. I want to start by getting your general impressions of the Baltimore series. I mean, I, I look at this series, which uh, culminated with a, a 3-1 opening loss, a 2-0 loss at the end, uh, a great Marcus Stroman 4-0 shutout performance, where basically both teams scored a grand total of five runs, which I'm sure was exactly how it was scripted when you think about their offensive lineups. What conclusion did you reach, and what conclusion should fans reach in understanding what exactly transpired during that series? Well, you know, the the Blue Jays' bats hit quite a cold funk at a pretty pretty bad time for them because this is a really crucial stretch of the season but you know you can even kind of pull it out and look at the Blue Jays runs scored over the entire year and this is a bottom five team in the majors so are we that surprised that Blue Jays weren't able to get to Ubaldo Jimenez weren't able to get to Kevin Gosman Um, I don't know if we should be but you know it, it was an interesting little microcosm of how things have been going this year for the Blue Jays when they have really needed a win uh, really needed an offensive outburst. You think about those nine attempts to get to 500 
uh, they haven't been able to get it, and that's why they're sitting where they are right now. Now, we're looking at the Boston Red Sox that are in town, and we know that they are definitely not the Baltimore Orioles. In particular, um, you look at Fister, Sale, and Pomerantz, and they are not Osman, Miley, and Jimenez. Fans be concerned that if the team struggled this mightily against the Orioles, that it could only potentially continue against a, a more uh, layered and, and uh, competitive team like the Boston Red Sox? Well, you never know. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of people were looking at Ibaldo Jimenez in the rubber match of that series. You know, a pitcher who came in with, you know, statistically among the worst uh, performance in the major leagues and a guy that the Blue Jays have obviously had success against before and thought, well, there's a pretty good chance the Blue Jays can win this series. And Ubaldo Jimenez won eight innings shutout. So you can't predict baseball. You know, you can look at the pitching matchups all you want. You can say, oh, this sets up favorably, or that's a tough stretch, or this team will challenge them, or here's a soft spot of the schedule. But, you mm-hmm. know, as we've seen time and again, strange things happen. And often in baseball, the last thing that you think is going to happen happens. So, uh, you know, we shall see. What I do know is that this is a very, very important three series stretch here. For the Blue Jays as they head into the All-Star break, Boston, New York, and Houston, three you know really good teams, I'd say, among the class in, in the American mm. League. And, and the Blue Jays, I think, are going to learn some things about themselves and how they perform over these uh, coming 10 games. A lot of introspection, a lot of self-analysis uh, and self-actualization when a team has to face a caliber of competition that is essentially defining uh, who they are as, as, a, as, a, as a team, as an identity of a team. Um, with the Boston Red Sox, now they're entrenched, well, in so much as a division leader can be entrenched by a single game, but do you see them as having taken their rightful place now as this division's leader? And, and more importantly, what does the series really mean, essentially, to the Blue Jays and your general thoughts of how the Red Sox differentiate themselves from other AL East opponents? Well, you know, I think we all expected the Red Sox to be good this year. And, and yes, they, they had a, a rocky start, but, you know, they've they've always had that strong foundation of, you know, really good young players. You know, Mookie Betts, Sander Bogarts, you know, I'd include Jackie Bradley Jr. in that conversation. Andrew Benatendi is entering it. You know, like the Blue Jays, excuse me, the, the Red Sox uh, have struggled a little bit with, with their pitching outside of Chris Sale, who has been nothing short of, you know, dominance as you would expect him to be. Uh, but, you know, I think we all kind of expected the Red Sox to figure it out. You know, there, there, there aren't quite as many holes in, in, on that Red Sox team, I would say, as, as there are on this Blue Jays team currently. So, you know, I, I think that if you're the Blue Jays and you're looking at taking on the Red Sox right now and then the Yankees and the Houston Astros, you know, as an athlete, you always want to measure up against the best and you always want to test yourself against the best that your sport has to offer to really find out where you stand as a team, as an individual, uh, you know, even, even for managers, I would, I would imagine, you know, you want to go up against the best. So the, the Blue Jays have that opportunity in front of them right now. Uh, you know, and I would say this 10 game stretch will, will say a lot about what the Blue Jays do end up doing uh, transactionally uh, as July develops. I'm speaking with Arden Swelling of Sportsnet. I want to take a quick look now, Arden, at uh, each individual game in terms of the pitching map. Get your quick thoughts on what fans should be mindful of and maybe what you're looking at in terms of these particular uh, starting pitching uh, matchups that have been made by both managers. Let's look at game one, uh, Doug Fister versus uh, Marco Estrada. What are your thoughts on that opening tonight? 
Well, you know, I, I, I could focus it on Marco Estrada there. I, I haven't watched too much of Doug Fister recently, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm so consumed in the Blue Jays world and in this bubble here. But, you know, I think that for Marco Estrada, it's certainly a, an important outing for him to try to keep building on, on the positivity of his last time out. You know, he, he went through a just a kind of a puzzling stretch where, uh, you know, he called it a, a pitcher's slump. And, you know, I would say that he probably didn't have his finest feel and his best command. During that time, I don't think he was putting his fastball right where he wants it to be, and, and I think his changeup was being left up a little too often. So, you know, I, it, it seemed like he took a pretty positive step towards correcting that recently. And, you know, we kind of we tend to forget how important of, of a season this is for Marco Estrada. You know, while he's had, you know, the, the two and a half great years, you know, preceding this and, and, and the great playoff performances, which, you know, MLB executives will tell you are – are worth, you know, that anywhere from two to five great regular season performances. Um, this is a guy who's going into free agency who would like to make some money. This might be one of his last contracts that he earns in, in his major league career, um, you know, and he would like to, to do, you know, to maximize his value as an individual in free agency. So it's very important for him to perform well because there are still a lot of doubters out there when it comes to a guy whose fastball sits 89 to 90 and who likes to pitch up in the zone sometimes. So, uh, you know, I think it's very important for Marco Strada to continue to build on the positivity of that last outing, and we'll see if he can do it. Well, and I've heard you on several uh, broadcasts, whether it was Blue Jays or going on uh, the Fan 590 radio or Tim and Sid, and you, you get asked a lot of questions about his trade value in the event that uh, the team bottoms out and fails to perform over the next few weeks heading into the dog days. Do you see him as being an essential piece that needs to be considered by the organization in the event that they'd like to start dealing players? Well, yeah, of course. You know, when you talk about Marco Estrada, I mean, while he's had his struggles uh, this month, you know, he's still got a strong track record behind him and that playoff success that I mentioned before. That that means a lot to teams when you look at a guy who, in high-pressure situations, do-or-die scenarios, times where, you know, your team could be going home if you don't come up with a performance, has come up with a good performance. Uh, that's something that teams really, really value. So, you know, you look at a, a club like Houston Astros, who seem to have everything going for them except maybe depth of starting pitching. If they wanted to add, you know, a, you know, a game three starter, uh, Marco Estrada could be the guy that they look at. So, you know, there's there's also a lot at play here for the Blue Jays and, and the impending deadline when you look at how Marco Estrada performs over the next yeah. few weeks and, and how the team performs especially. Well, and as to your earlier point about the unruly karmic nature of baseball sometimes, I guess expecting a pitcher who held the league collectively to a 203 average over the last two years, at some point something's got to even up, I suppose. Well, people looked at those type of stats, right? You looked at his batting average on balls in play. You looked at his hip, especially. You know, and for a while he looked like a guy who kind of busted some of those stats. You know, the way that he pitched was somewhat unconventional, and those stats just weren't really able to measure or predict yeah. his success or failure well. But I'd imagine there's also a lot of people in baseball who are saying, yeah, here it is. You know, like, here's what we all saw coming, right? Like, here is what those stats were telling us was going to happen for so long. Now it's finally happening. So, you know, we each have yeah. to make our own judgments of, uh, you know, whether whether we buy into those, those stats predictively or not. Uh, and that's up to each individual. Absolutely, absolutely. And and now I'm looking at game two, which is uh, a battle of lefties and Chris Sale against 
Francisco Liriano, and I'm thinking this really is the pivotal one, isn't it? Would you like to see them at least show up against Chris Sale, even though we know the likelihood of that is is remote, considering the way he's pitched this year? Well, he's just so so good, and he has been so so good against the Toronto Blue Jays. So, you know, I, I, I look if there is a hitting coach out there who could devise a great approach against Chris Sale that can you know get him out of the mm-hmm. game or, or get you to score a bunch of runs against him. Uh, that guy would be making a lot of money right now. Uh, I think that the the key thing in that matchup is Francisco Liriano keeping the Blue Jays in the game. You know, if you can keep it to, uh, you know, the Red Sox to two or three runs over, you know, seven innings would be great because even if Chris Sale shuts out the Blue Jays or if the Blue Jays are only able to scrape across one run or two runs, uh, they'll still be within striking distance once they get to Boston's bullpen, you hope, if you can kind of wear down Chris Sale and put put up some competitive at-bats, foul off some tough pitches, uh, and, and get his pitch count up. Of course, Boston's bullpen, no slouch. Uh, you know, you look at what Craig Kimbrell has done out there, that's that's an imposing matchup as well. But, you know, that, I mean, it's that's kind of your hope when you're going up against Chris Sale is either he has an off day or you wear him down, you get his pitch count up, you frustrate him, and you try to get him out of the game early. Has Francisco Liriano told you enough to believe that he'll be able to compete against such an elite upper echelon talent? Yeah, of course. I mean, Francisco Liriano's got amazing stuff. It's you just you're not sure which version of him you're going to get on any given day. There's, there's some days where he takes the mound and you say he's got no hit stuff today, and there's some days where he takes the mound and he can't find the strike zone at all. And it, you know, you, you just never. It, it's a bit of a wild card coming into any given Francisco Liriano start. You're not entirely sure, uh, you know, if he's going to have his command and his stuff that day or not. Oftentimes, you don't really know until you see him get through that first inning and see where his pitches are and, and how he's locating and, and how things are going. Now, turning our attention to close out here on Game Three is an intriguing matchup because we all know that Drew Pomerantz has gone through stretches where he looks like he's maybe a Double A pitcher at best. And Joe Biagini has been a bit of a wild card in anticipating what we're going to get. Will it be the one who battled in his last start or perhaps the Joe Biagini of the previous start that didn't have the composure and poise to deal with a couple of misplays and errors in his previous first inning fiasco? What are you expecting from Game 3 with that matchup? Um, I don't know if I'm expecting too much because, you know, Joe Biagini has had his ups and his downs, right? So I'm not entirely sure what to expect there, but I, I think he's been mostly serviceable as the Blue Jays' uh, kind of fifth starter here. Um, we'll see if he could continue to build on some of the things that he's been working on. I think he's still very much learning uh, how to be a starter at the big league level and, and how to work with his catcher and you know how to get the most out of his repertoire and then the most out of his sequencing. And Drew Pomeranz on, on the other hill you know, is, is a guy who's had his ups, had his downs. But it, it seems like over his last few, he's heading into Toronto uh, feeling pretty good about himself and pitching pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Have you been surprised or satisfied that quote experiment has produced? I mean, this has been a year where we've seen Russell Martin playing third base and Joe Biagini, a high leverage reliever, being asked to produce quality starts. Should this, in your opinion, be viewed as a team that's simply desperate or a team that maybe has an outside-of-the-box imagination that's trying to find ways to generate What's your take on the whole Joe Biagini experiment to date? Well, I think that the Blue Jays just need some stability in that spot in their rotation. You know, instead of kind of cycling through the Matt Lakehouses of this world or the Casey Lawrences, uh, you know, not being entirely certain what they were going to get. I think they, they need some stability there. I think Joe Biagini has given it to them 
it's clearly a bit of a, a work in progress with him. Uh, you know, whether or not he'll be a part of the, you know, 2018 rotation is something that remains to be seen. But, you know, I think that the Blue Jays are, are happy to get a look at him now. Um, it's always a bit of an awkward fit to kind of, you know, get a look at a guy in, in the major leagues. Uh, you don't want to be thinking that, that far that far ahead because wins mm-hmm. and losses matter so much right now. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, as I kind of alluded to earlier, earlier you know, I, I think Toby G's been fine. I think he's just learning some things about being a start at the major league level. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth there and a lot of room to improve and develop. And, you know, I know Toby G probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for how uh, cerebral he is about pitching um, and, and how well he thinks this game and, and you know, how much he, he really does think about attacking hitters and, and what he's doing as a starter. You know, as much as the guy's going out there and, and throwing stuff at the wall, there is a lot of thought behind it. And sometimes his somewhat aloof personality can, you know, <laughs> kind of hide the fact that Joby Jr. really does think this game well and really does put a lot of thought into what he's doing on the mound. So that's when, when a guy's like that, you know, you're always encouraged that, he can kind of, if, if he struggles with something, he can kind of figure his way through it and devise solutions. And I think fans appreciate that. You know, whether we describe him as a cerebral type, um, an idiosyncratic pitcher, uh, esoteric, eclectic. I mean, there's so many different adjectives you could throw at Joe Biagini. But I think you'll agree that one of the things that fans enjoy about him is that when he comes to work and he focuses on the game, it seems like he's one of those guys who's completely unshakable, unbreakable. But when you see him on television promoting the team and exchanging high fives with Jimmy Fallon, I think that's an amazing <laughs> intangible. Wouldn't you say that you can have the kind of player who is so diverse or multidimensional that he can offer that in terms of fan awareness and appreciation? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sometimes even caught off guard by it too, Ari. I mean, when when I when I talk to him, you know, and and he'll you know open his interviews with jokes and he'll you know like poke fun at things, this, that, and the other, and then I'll maybe I'll ask him something about his changeup. And he'll talk for like a minute and a half really insightfully about his changeup and how he's developed it and why he throws it when he does and how he likes to use it and, you know, maybe some of the roadblocks and hurdles he's had to get over with that particular pitch. And I kind of, you know, as he's talking, I kind of go, oh, wow, you know, like this, I I forgot, like this isn't, you know, he's not just here to tell jokes. He's not just here to, you know, be that kind of goofy personality. Um, He really can talk really or speak really insightfully about this game, which you know, it isn't something you always get uh, from athletes who no, don't necessarily no. have to tell you everything that's going on with them. But Joe Biagini, you know, once you, you get through the the jokes, which are great, and the goofiness, which is refreshing, um, you, you know, there really is quite a bit of substance there and, and quite a bit of intellectualism when it comes to pitching. And, and I, I really find that interesting. I do as well. I think it's a breath of fresh air when you can approach a professional athlete and be given a certain threshold of, as you called it, intellectualism, which is sometimes sorely lacking. I think of Jays that you've interviewed and spoken with in the past, like Jason Grilly and R.A. Dickey. And is is that something that's a bit of a perk in the job? Is that something you look forward to is getting a scoop or an interview with an athlete that can engage you on such a wide ranging level of like self-actualization in baseball? Yeah, I love those talks about, you know, just the, the processes that guys go through. You know, I, I, and I, we've kind of been spoiled in Toronto with guys who really do think about this game um, really insightfully and really deeply. Uh, you know, Josh Donaldson is one of them. Russell Martin absolutely comes to mind. You know, you mentioned R.A. Dickey. And, I mean, he was such a peculiar animal with the knuckleball. I mean, he pitched unlike mm-hmm. anybody else in the major leagues at, at the time. So, 
and it, that was its own kind of uh, its own situation. But RA Dickey had a lot of really insightful things to say about baseball, and yeah, the Blue Jays had a lot of a lot of really interesting uh, baseball minds in the clubhouse, and I absolutely relish any opportunity I get to have an in-depth conversation with guys about pitching, about hitting, about why they do certain things, about their reasoning for, you know, making tweaks or adjustments. Kevin Pillar is a guy who also doesn't get enough credit for, you know, thinking really deeply about this game and, and you know, why he's doing certain things and mistakes that he's made or things he's had to overcome. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, pretty interesting, insightful minds in that clubhouse for sure. I'm speaking with Arden Zwelling. He's a writer, sportscaster, and podcaster with Rogers Sportsnet. Arden, I wanted to ask you about something that happened this past week, and uh, I'm sure you're going to smile a little bit uh, behind the scenes here, knowing that I would ask you this at some point, which is your your comments and story regarding Roberto Luna. And uh, I'd like to start by saying that I, I admired enormously that you took the lead on this story, because it seems like as soon as we started reading about it on social media and fans started reading about it in the mainstream media, one got the impression that this was something that Really, you just don't anticipate in the world of sports, especially when you're involved as a as a broadcaster or someone who works behind the scenes. I wanted to get your thoughts. Now, having the dust settled somewhat, what are your thoughts on the way Major League Baseball handles the issue of what we call mental health, whether it's depression, anxiety, or any kind of adverse emotional state that could have a psychological impact on the are they doing enough and what would you like to see happen when it comes to these kind of cases as in the uh, as in the case of the Roberto Asuna comments you know I I guess I would say that they aren't doing enough because you know this was the first time I had encountered anything like that Um, and that experience is certainly a you know a new one and uh, an interesting one and challenging one at times Um, and you know something that I want to handle with a lot of delicacy and, and care uh, delicacy probably is more delicateness, whatever. I'm a yeah, writer, who yeah. knows? But I want to take a lot of care, um, and, and I want to just be, you know, I, I, I certainly want to get it right, which is always my goal. But you know, especially in in a situation like that, uh, you want to really do right by the player and by the organization, and, and you know, by what's going on. Um, sure. So yeah, you know, the, the fact that that's the first time I've encountered it. When you know, I think we can all fairly assume this is not the first time a, a professional baseball player has encountered issues of anxiety, or you know, times when for you know a, a mental health reason they don't feel at their best, and then they are questioning whether they can do their job that day. You know, I, I would, you know, I would assume this has happened to other players before. For Roberto Osuna to be one of the few to actually speak publicly about it, um, and and talk to reporters about what he's going through. Uh, I mean, it was it was exceptional. I think it was courageous on his part, um, you know. And but the fact that that was the first time that any of us had encountered it tells us that you know players probably don't feel as comfortable as they perhaps should uh, expressing those thoughts publicly. Well, I'll tell you, I remember uh, seeing the update the way most people probably did who have cell phones, which is uh, let's say the Score app or the Sportsnet app, notifying that the comments were made. And I have to tell you, honestly, that when I found out that they were initially attributed to your question and answer session with him and learning this information, I thought to myself, there's the right journalist to get that kind of information. Because I think you'll agree, we live in a very clickbait, scoop-oriented, revenue-oriented world where something like that could easily be dismissed as another, quote, human interest story. But what I found fascinating was your efforts at humanizing the process by making people understand, as you just mentioned, that mental health is something that everyone deals with. 
and it shouldn't be treated as an elephant in the room. And when I started reading people's comments about it, and most of them were supportive on social media, both of Roberto and yourself in providing that information, I also saw a certain ugliness, whether you want to call it trolling or that kind of negative element associated with people who look at the situation and say, oh, come on, he's a millionaire baseball player, he's young, what reasons could he possibly have? to deal with mental health? How do you respond to people who are maybe blasé or accepting of the fact that this is something that isn't nearly as important as it should be as a baseball issue? Well, you know, I'd say those people probably just don't understand how debilitating a a mental health issue can be um, and how limiting it can be and, and just what it's like to experience something like that. First and foremost, I think you know, they probably also aren't being empathetic enough to, you know, the, the situation Roberto Asuna is in. We're talking, you know, we forget he's 22. You know, we forget he's still kind of becoming uh, who he is as as a person. You know, we've, we've all, you know, I, I'm, I feel, you know, I'm 29. I feel like I'm still figuring out who I am as a person. You know, I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm still kind of growing and evolving and changing, you know, always. So, you know, you, you look at a, a, a you know, a kid really who's 22, got to the big leagues at 20, was in the Mexican professional league at 16, dropped out of school at 12. You know, his adolescence and his growing up has happened with a great deal of pressure and expectations uh, and scrutiny um, that I think that if you're not in that position, you can't quite understand how that feels or what that is like. Um, so, you know, I think that you really have to just consider the whole and consider everything that's happening here. Um, and then, and yeah, there's there's things about Roberto Osuna and all professional athletes that we likely don't know. You know, there's things these guys go through away from the field that we don't understand. You know, and you think you, if you can think about yourself and you know, say you have a, a an argument with your partner, or you know, there's a health issue in your family, or anything that you know people go through. When you go to work, you're thinking about that. That's on your mind. You can't, you know, just shove that out and eliminate it. That's something that you go through. So if you can kind of relate to how that is in your day-to-day life and then imagine having to take the mound in front of 50,000 people with a one-run lead in the, you know, in, in the ninth inning and, and trying to mm-hmm. trying to execute and, and trying to do your, your best with everything on the line, a win and a loss, uh, you know, in, in your hands, that's a lot, you know, so I don't think any of us can really understand what that's like for, for a major league ball player. But, you know, I think it's important to have some empathy uh, and some understanding um, and, and, you know, just just be, uh, you know, just be cautious before we uh, share some uh, some spicy takes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, of course, baseball has its own culture. It has its own unwritten rule like any other sport. Uh, I find it fascinating that you mention that he's based spent his entire life being a baseball player and in a culture, a baseball culture that can be sometimes very rigid. I was speaking with Todd Stottlemyre the other night. Um, We had a nice evening of about two hours worth of conversation that he ultimately answered some calls live. And one of the questions that he talked about uh, that I asked him that he ultimately answered was about the changing pitching culture that exists, especially in lieu of all the injuries and attitudes recently of players in baseball. Are you concerned that maybe the traditional perspectives of this game are suddenly changing a little bit too quickly and potentially hindering the sport, especially when it comes to what's happening with the pitching culture? Um, You know, I haven't considered that too much, to be honest with you. Uh, You know, I do know that as this game continues to evolve, you know, you're going to see better athletes, you're going to see higher velocity, 
you're going to see bats coming off, or excuse me, balls coming off bats at a higher rate of speed, um, and, and you're going to see a, a higher, just a more demanding game at the major league level, and that's that's just the natural evolution of things. You can look at any sport. You know, it's it's almost funny to look at an NHL game from say 2000 or 2001, mm. and then watch a game from today, and just look at the difference in the speed and, and the way the game is played. So, you know, these things are constantly evolving, and I think the teams are you know, constantly looking for ways to be at the forefront of that and, and prepare their players as best they can to meet the expectations that, you know, are going to be waiting for them at the major leagues, which, you know, continually seem to be greater and greater and greater and more demanding. So it's an interesting thing to look into. I haven't looked into it too, too closely, but, uh, you know, there's there's always going to be differences across, across eras in, in any professional sport, and I think you're seeing that now with baseball. And you mentioned evolution. Um, sometimes the way the sport moves forward can be uh, a, a direct change in its, for example, playoff qualifications, like adding a wild card uh, opportunity for teams to compete. But then it can be something very small and subtle, such as not having to actually throw four balls to issue an intentional walk. Are you okay with the way that Major League Baseball is trying to, quote, modernize itself? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you're ever going to make baseball faster without removing a couple innings, you know, like I, it, it just kind of feels like these little changes at the margin. If you want to talk about it, you know, a pitch clock or a, uh, you know, or it would, like you said, not issuing the four intentional, uh, the four balls for an intentional walk. I mean, these are making pretty marginal differences. You know, I, I think that if baseball just kind of embraced that, look, this is, this is the game that we are. A lot of people love this game because there isn't a clock. And I can say personally, I love this game because you always have to throw a pitch. You always have to compete. It's not like, mm. you know, in, in hockey you can fall into the neutral zone trap, right? In in football, you can try to run out the clock with running plays, and you can even take knees uh, within, you know, the, the final two minutes of the game and kind of refuse to play the game. In basketball, you can, you know, foul the other team purposefully and, you know, try to gum things up that way. You know, you can... In, in fighting, you know, in, in MMA, you can go into, uh, you know, you, you can grapple or you can try to take a guy down and push him against the cage yeah. and just kill some clock. In baseball, you have to throw the guy a pitch, and it has to be in the strike zone. And I, that's, yeah. that is what I absolutely love about it, is that you have to compete. And the other team has to have an opportunity to beat you until they have accumulated 27 outs. So... I think if baseball just kind of embraced that this is the way that we are and maybe kind of shifted the paradigm in, in that direction, maybe they'd have a, a bit more, you know, success appealing to, to fans. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, baseball's never been more popular than it is right now, really. You look at the money in the game, look at some of the television contracts. I mean, they, you know, people are, are cleaning up. This game is doing very well at the moment. And it is really becoming kind of a 365-day-a-year thing when you look at, you know, what happens in the offseason. And the, especially in Toronto, we've experienced this. The interest in the offseason is through the through the roof. So I, I don't think baseball needs to be fixed right now. I think it's really fine the way it is. Well said, well said. And I think I'm I'm inclined to agree with you, notwithstanding the fact that I still have to explain what a Bach is to to my followers every third day. But, I mean, that's, I think, the glorious thing about baseball is that you're introduced sometimes to rules you weren't even aware of, and there are so many elements of baseball that doesn't get talked about in the nomenclature, so to speak, that leaves fans sometimes wondering, hey, where do I go for my refresher course, right, my orientation on the sport? Yeah, it's certainly, you know, it's not the most approachable game in the world, and it is definitely a, a complex 
sport, but I think that's why so many of us like it and appreciate it because there is so much going on. When you really hone in on any confrontation in a baseball game and any, you know, plate appearance, there is so much happening. And, and if you put runners on base and, and things like that, you you, you just multiply the, the variables of what's going on there. So it it, it is, a, you know, a complex game. It does take a lot to really learn it on a level that, you know, I, I, guys in the Blue Jays clubhouse know it on a level far, far, far beyond where I know it or you know it or anybody who watches this game as, as fans know it. You know, there's always more you can learn and, and there's always more complexities to it. So, yeah, that's what's always interesting to me. Is you could, I still see things in baseball games that I've never seen happen before, which is pretty remarkable that's, when you think about it. it. It really is, especially considering that fundamentally it's meant to be a linear analytical experience in terms of the number of outs and number of innings. Everything is like built on mathematics, and yet sometimes things organically will happen, and you'll end up scratching your head and wondering, you know, how, how the heck did that really happen, given given what this game offers. Um, I want to ask you about you, Arden, in particular. I mean, I, I consider you a highly respected and critically acclaimed journalist. You've you've written some books and you've 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 done some photo essays that I, I, for example, just retweeted your Tony Fernandez photo essay because he's a personal favorite of mine as a Toronto Blue Jays player. I'm wondering what are your favorite baseball stories to write about, and what ultimately motivates you in exploring, let's say, the social or political ramifications of a story. Well, I I think that I'm probably best at some of the long form stuff. I think that's probably where I do my best work. Um, you know, I don't always love the day to day stuff, but I you know, I do very much like being involved and, and working a lot. I find I write better in the more that I'm writing. So, you know, being writing about the team every day it, it just kind of helps you hone your craft and, and be better. Um, you know, it's like that 10,000 hours theory, right? You know, you just got to do it and 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 you get better. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, I certainly, I don't love the, the punditry or uh, some of that stuff, but it's it's part of the job. It's part and parcel. It's what, you know, it's what people want. And uh, I think he, at, at the end of the day, you know, our customers, our consumers are the fans. So you, you have to deliver what they're looking for. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I get the most enjoyment out of the long form stuff that I do. I really get to, to kind of dive into a player's backstory, into his history, um, and and really tell a, an interesting story, you know, and, and be a storyteller. That's uh, that's what I like doing the most. And, and Sportsnet is great and giving me those opportunities, and uh, I couldn't be more grateful for it. Well, you do a fantastic job, and and I'm wondering, knowing that I have uh, listeners and and a lot of followers at Jay's Journal. Who, who read up on what the team is doing every day, what advice would you have for those who want to become uh, writers and are sportscasters in today's sports entertainment field? What, what would your advice be to journalists who want to distinguish themselves from others in this very competitive business that exists? You know, I think doing something different helps. I think that, you know, a, a lot of people fall into, uh, I don't want to call it a trap, but just uh, a lot of people kind of write the same thing and kind of do the same stuff. Mm. So I think if you do something different, I think that really stands out. Um, and also just doing it repeatedly is the biggest thing, you know, like writing and journalism and, you know, broadcasting, all that stuff. It's not unlike anything else. You, you, you have to do it and do it and do it and do it and do it until you blew in the face and then wake up the next day and do it again. You know, it's, we, you just, that experience and those repetitions are so, so important in anything that you do really, I think, you know, in any kind of skill that you're trying to develop. Um, so, you know, honestly, just keeping busy and working as hard as you can. If you 
if you work harder than than everyone else at your stage, uh, you know, I can, you know, I can't guarantee good things are going to happen for you, but I can say you're going to put yourself in a pretty good position for good things to happen for you. You know, you can kind of create some of your own luck through just hard work and and initiative and pursuit. So, you know, anybody who's looking to break into this, I would encourage just wake up every day and find a way to produce something that is maybe a little different or something that you're proud of um, and, and put that out, whether it's on a blog or a podcast or whatever it may be, you know, a, a video uh, of some sort, um, anything you can do every day to just produce something you're proud of, that's uh, that's a good way to say it. I love it because it's elegant, simple advice for people who have to understand how important it is to apply your craft and, and believe in what you're doing and be passionate about it. Um, before I let you go, because I know you have a number of things to do before the Jays take on the Boston Red Sox tonight, you have a fantastic cast called At The Letters. Maybe you can take a minute to talk about the podcast and some other things you're working on for my listeners to appreciate uh, when they check out all things Sportsnet. Sure. Well, uh, you know, every week, uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith and I, who I understand you have on your podcast, uh, we, we talk about the Blue Jays and what's going on mm-hmm. with the team and uh, you know, we we try for guests every uh, so often, guests that we find interesting. We don't generally like to have just, you know, guests for the sake of guests. We try to find people that we think, uh, you know, have interesting things to say or, you know, it, it just kind of makes sense to have them on at that time. So it's it's great. Ben's great. Ben is, uh, you know, so knowledgeable about this game um, and, and so insightful. Uh, it, it makes it easy, really, and, and it's just kind of a, a way for us to maybe share some of our thoughts that that don't get into our stories, you know, that, that don't get into our written our written yeah. content, or that we don't get to express in a radio hit. It's nice to have the the podcast format and have a bit more time to just explore things and tease them out. Uh, and, and have interesting discussions about the game and the team. So, you know, I, I hope people enjoy it. Uh, ben and I really enjoy doing it. And, uh, you know, you, you can catch it every, generally every Wednesday, sometimes Tuesday, sometimes Thursday, but generally every Wednesday at sportsnet.ca and iTunes. Uh, and then, yeah, writing-wise, I mean, I've got a pretty big piece on Bobby Shett that, that went up last week that uh, I worked really hard on. So, you know, if I was going to point any anybody towards anything I wrote, uh, I'd probably point you towards that piece. Well, I'll be united on that front because I, I need to learn me some more Beau Bouchette news and appreciate uh, why fans should feel really excited and truly uh, optimistic about what the future has to offer with players like Bouchette, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and Rowdy Telez uh, in the pipe. His name is Arden Zwelling. His podcast is At The Letters with Ben Nicholson-Smith on Sportsnet. Arden, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, and I certainly hope you'll come back soon. Thanks, Ari. I appreciate you having me.